All right. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not among the the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Liar. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Think about that. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Just what every little one-year-old baby would want, you know. So, hey, everybody, welcome uh, to Ascent. It's Christmas season. My name's Jim. I'm one of the pastors. We're super glad that you're here. And we're going through a series kind of leading up to a big deal on Christmas Eve with, uh, and we're just calling it uh, Unwrapping Christmas. So uh, glad you're here. And today, what we want to do, I I mean, it's first, let's just, we're going to stop and think about this story a little bit. I bet you a bunch of you heard it before, you've got it in your nativity scenes, you know, you've got your wise men, but there's all kinds of questions about this story, and let me just first ask you, let's just test a little Bible knowledge here, how many wise men were there? Three. Not true, okay? Uh, Did you see the number three in there? Did it say three wise men? This is actually the only part of the Bible that talks about this story. There's no other thing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that talks about the wise men. This is it. So, and it doesn't say three, it just says wise men. There could have been a million wise men. There could have been a hundred, I don't know, but there, we don't, nativity scene makers want you to believe that there's three wise men for some reason, but we don't know how many wise men there actually were. We're not sure where they were from. We're not sure how long they had to go. Our best guess is these guys were actually from where kind of modern-day Iraq is. Anybody, you know how far it is from Iraq to Jerusalem? It's like 900 miles. These guys, however many of them were, they got on their camels or horses, or it doesn't tell us that either, so the nativity scene camels, we're not sure. They may have walked. There was no Southwest flight. There's no Frontier Airlines. There's no bags fly free. These guys went like 900 miles to find Jesus. The biggest question, we got, I mean, there's all kinds of questions. People debate this stuff all the time. It's really fun. But the biggest question about these guys in my mind is why? You ever stop and think about that with these guys? Why in the world would they do this? Why would they come 900 miles through a desert through areas that probably had all kinds of people, bandits, that kind of stuff. They could have run out of food. They could have run out of money. They could have run out of water. This was a dangerous thing that they did. 
to travel that far to come follow a star? And were they really going to find what they were looking for anyway? I mean, you got to stop and ask the question, why? Guys, this Christmas, so we're leading up to it, we got to stop and ask the question, like, what is this all about? Like, why are we doing this? Why would we show up on Sunday mornings like this? Why would we show up on Christmas Eve? Why would we invite our neighbors to come hear this? Why? What is this all about? Let's unwrap this whole story and say, what are we doing this Christmas when it comes to this Jesus? Why? Well, I, I want to start... Um, if you haven't been here before, I just like obsess over writing stuff on little boards. So I've got not my flip chart. I went big today. I've got a whiteboard. Um, I want to start by answering the question, why not? Why would we not do this? Why would we not follow Jesus leading up to Christmas? Here, here, this is gonna, some of you guys are going to be like, did he just write that? Bill and I have a goal for every one of you, that you would never be religious. It might sound funny, but why not starts with religion. Guys, religion. When I, when I hear that term, I'll just tell you, maybe, I don't know what you hear when you hear that term. I'll tell you what I hear. When I think of the word religious, I think of tradition that may not have heart. I think of rules, I think of obligation, I think of rituals that I kind of follow. I don't think of heart. I don't think of passion. I don't think of like a drive. I think of an obligation because my parents told me that this is what I was supposed to be or do. Man, guys, the why not of Christmas is we don't want anybody in this church, never. We're not after religious people. What we want and are praying for with everybody that's going to step in the doors this Christmas is that there would be a passionate love and a relationship with a real Jesus. That's what we're after. I want to I want to talk a little bit today about why, and specifically, like, just go with me on this. I want to share with you why I love him. If you've been here at all, you know how flawed that love is, sadly. But I'll tell you a little bit about why I love this Jesus, why I want to follow him, why, why I want to, I would walk through the desert, risk my life, whatever it is, why Jesus is worth it. Um, so here's my deal. I'm a former youth pastor guy. And you're going to quickly pick up today that if you hadn't already, Bill and I are actually just kind of big kids. I, I know we look incredibly wise and, you know, like put together and all that stuff. We, at, at the heart, you pick away at me and Bill for like two seconds, you'll figure out what a bunch of big kids we are. And, and I want to just frame this love of Jesus in a way that makes sense to me. It may not make sense to everyone, but just go with me on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with uh, what I'm just going to call today. We're going to call this the superhero scorecard. 
One of the great traditions about Christmas is the movies. I mean, let's be, who's going to Star Wars on Friday night? Come on. Thursday? I don't know. I thought Friday was opening day. They duped me at the box office. All right, so I got Friday night, 7 o'clock. I'm so pumped. I love, I love Christmas movies. It's not just Star Wars, though. Before that, you know, there was the Lord of the Rings movies that always came out. But this year, you're seeing more superhero movies, too. And so, you know, you got Thor out right now. You've got Justice League, all this stuff. I love, I love this time of year because of the movies. And one of the ways I make sense of how I love Jesus is by superhero movies. And let me explain, okay? Let me just run through a few things with you. And you can see if you can pick up where I'm going with this. Let's start with Thor. You guys know Thor? Man, I get jealous every time I see that dude's hair. That's just, <laughs> I would look so good with that big blonde lock. Um, what, what do you love about Thor? Those of you guys who know your superheroes, what do you, what, what's one of his biggest, coolest things that he's got? The hammer. You guys, that hammer. You realize he can like chuck that hammer at people or whatever and it comes back to him. What else can he do with the hammer? Don't you know? He can, he can summon lightning. We're putting that on the super, superhero scorecard for sure. The guy can change the weather. That's awesome. One of, the, one of the things that he can do with his hammer that not many people know about, I bet, I bet a bunch of you Thor people, junkies, don't know this. He can actually, the hammer can change matter. He can change something from one thing into another. Come on. That's, we're going to give him manipulate matter. Are you kidding me? Awesome. Thor's not the only guy. You got Wolverine. Here's Wolverine. I, this, you know, Wolverine's a good guy. He's got a little steak knife thing going on with his hands. But um, I, what I really love about him is the, the, the hair. And I am, I, 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 there's a theme here. Um, I, I, I'm actually trying to get Bill to do the, because he can do, I can't, but he, he could do that look for Christmas Eve. I mean, come on. You imagine you walked in and Bill looked like that with the little chops on the side. But one of the things I love about Wolverine is why he's got longevity. Anybody know what he can do? He, he, he can actually heal himself. We're going to put that one on the superhero scorecard because that would come in handy for any of us, I'm sure. Superman, what is Superman's biggest skill? He can fly, which we would call, we're going to say, defying gravity definitely counts on the superhero scorecard. Some of you don't know this. Superhero actually, or Superman actually has another skill that comes in handy sometimes. He's come back to life twice. Did you know this? Once in the 90s, Superman came back to life, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but maybe recently too. Um, <laughs> comes back to life definitely on the scorecard. And then we're going to look at our last guy, Tony Stark, Iron Man. I never used to really like Iron Man. Until recently, my boys have kind of started making me watch the movies, and I'm like, this guy's actually pretty cool. So here's my question for you. What is Iron Man's superpower? Somebody said the suit. What else? How did he get the suit? Because he's smart. Yes. I would even argue what his real superpower is. He's the smartest person alive. Smartest alive. Not in everything, mind you, if you've seen the movies, but he's pretty intelligent when it comes to technology. 
So look, look at our scorecard here. You take a composite of the people that you grew up with that you love the most. And by the way, I, didn't, I just didn't love Wonder Woman when I was little, but I, like the last two years, I'm like two thumbs up, right? So I, we could put her on the list too. So, but if you take a composite of all these people that you love and you look at what they're capable of, can we just, just go with me for a second on this? What if, what if we made another little column right here and we put Jesus right here? How does Jesus compare with these guys? Let's start with changing the weather. Anybody ever notice Jesus changing the weather? You, you look in the scripture, you see this in a couple places. Mark 4, Matthew 8, Jesus is on a boat, he's asleep, his disciples are freaked out because they're on a lake, the wind and the waves come up and things start sloshing around, they think they're going to die, they scream out to Jesus to help him and he gets up and he comes to the edge of the boat and he says, be still and the weather goes, shh, just stops, dead calm. I'm giving Jesus a check mark for that. Changing the weather. But I'm gonna go a step further than that. I want you to notice, Jesus didn't need a hammer to do it. I'm giving him double check mark for not needing a hammer to do that. Manipulate matter. You look at John chapter two, Jesus shows up at a wedding, everybody's having a great time, until the tragedy happens where they actually run out of wine. There's these huge barrels. Jesus asks them to fill it with water, and what happens? Just like that, Jesus does this miraculous thing where he changes the water into wine. I'm giving him a check mark for that, and again, he doesn't need a hammer. I'm giving him a check, double check. Does Jesus heal himself? Anybody ever remember a time where Jesus healed himself? I guess we could count the resurrection as that, so I'm just going <laughs> to give him a little check mark for that one. But let's go a step further and say Jesus is in the business of healing everybody. You can't open anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, our Gospels, and not find Jesus healing someone. He's healing people with their eyesight, He's healing people who can't hear. He's healing people who have been bleeding for decades. He's healing people that have some sort of demonic something that is controlling them. Jesus is always out there healing someone of something. I'm giving him a double check mark because Wolverine could only heal himself. It looks like Jesus to me can not only heal himself, but he can heal other people too. Does Jesus ever fly? Jesus ever defy gravity? Yeah, there's a little story about Jesus where the guys are all out on a boat in the middle and it's dark and late at night and they wake up and they look across the water. Last time I checked when I was in water, I actually sunk when I got in the water. Jesus is walking on top of the water. We're gonna give him a check mark for being able to defy gravity, but what else does he do? comes up to the boat, all the disciples are inside the boat, he sees them, he sees Peter, and he says, Peter, come on out. Peter steps out of the boat, 
starts walking on the water, not only does Jesus have the power to give himself the ability to defy gravity, Jesus was actually able to give that to just like little peons like you and me. Double check mark for Jesus on that one. Coming back to life, we read about it in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to give Jesus a check mark for that. I want you to notice, though, the big difference between Superman and Jesus. Superman needed other people to help bring him back to life. Jesus is calling on no higher power than himself. Jesus is bringing himself back to life. And not only that, you find in John chapter 11, Jesus showing up four days after a buddy of his had died. He shows up at the tomb. They roll away this tombstone, and his friend Lazarus actually comes out of the grave. Jesus has the ability not just to raise himself back up to life, but someone else as well. That is worth a double check mark. Smartest man alive. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus smart? You know, some of us have got um, friends. I'll bet you got a friend. I'm just going to, I want you to think of this person. Don't point at them, okay? But think of this person. You've got a friend who you would describe as one of the nicest kindest, most gentle, compassionate, loving, caring, big teddy bear kind of person. You got that person in your mind? And if somebody pressed you and said, be honest, how intelligent do you think that person is? If you were honest on this person that you have in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, maybe not so much. Really high on the caring, loving, wow, compassionate, big teddy bear kind of end, but not so high on the smarts end of things. Is that Jesus? Because I think if, if we had a little test right now where we said, write down your adjective to describe Jesus, we would probably all write down words like, oh, loving and ah, caring and you know, knows me, like that, a lot of us might write those kinds of words. Would you write smart? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I, I find this stuff kind of fun. There was this thing in the Bloomberg uh, News came out with this thing they do every once in a while called the Brain Drain Index. Have you seen this? The Bloomberg Brain Drain Index. What they do is they look at all the cities across the U.S., they total up all their, you know, advanced degrees and kind of their intelligence and they, they have all these categories to try to figure out what is the smartest city in the U.S. Anybody want to guess what city won the Bloomberg Brain Drain Index this last year? This is, this is our city right here. Boulder. All the cities in the U.S. Boulder wins. You can insert your Boulder jokes now. That's fine. But. But, but here's, here's a question for you. Can Jesus be the God of that city? Can Jesus be the God of the Silicon Valley? Can Jesus be the God of New York and Boston? Can Jesus be the God of the hub of intelligence? Or is he just a sweet teddy bear? You get this story uh, in Luke chapter 2, it's kind of it's fun because there's, 
There's all kinds of stories about Jesus in the Bible, but they, they generally fall into two categories. They're either the birth stories that you get usually at the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or you get stories about Jesus from about age 30 to 33, and you see him in life and people and healing and that kind of stuff. So Jesus' stories fall generally into those two categories, except for one story. There's one story in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus, and he's age 12. And, and here he is, you know, he, he's got a family, and he's uh, in Jerusalem, this big city, for a big festival with his family. The family leaves, uh, Mary and Joseph leave, and they all head down the road on their way back north, and they actually get down the road, and they figure out that they've left him behind. And so Jesus is actually back in Jerusalem now, and he's there for three days. And if you read the story in Luke chapter 2, it basically talks about how Jesus is there and he's interacting with the teachers and people there and he is wowing them with his questions, with his answers and what he knows. And I always kind of thought like, well, it's just, is, is Jerusalem one of those, is it like a cow town type thing? Like is there, you know, is it not like the highest center of learning place? Like isn't Rome the highest place of learning in Jerusalem is kind of like woo, way down here. But as you look at it and kind of research this stuff, Jerusalem was up there. Jerusalem was like the regional center of new ideas and thoughts and things that were happening, you know, the latest things that people are talking about happening in Jerusalem. Guys, Jesus at age 12 is going toe-to-toe and wowing these people. I'm going to give him a check mark. And I want you to think about it this way too. You know, as we think about it, you look at this little list over here, changing the weather, manipulating matter, healing himself, defying gravity. Is Jesus able to do all this stuff because he's like Harry Potter? The way Harry Potter makes stuff happen is Harry Potter knows the right words to call on some kind of higher unseen power to make things happen through magic. Is that what's going on with Jesus? Guys, here's, here's what Jesus does. Jesus can change the weather because he actually knows how the weather patterns work because he made it. Jesus knows how to make things go calm because he knows what's happening in the atmosphere and he can actually, with a word, make it stop. Jesus, when someone can't see, can change their eyesight to being able to see because he understands the tissues involved in the human eye. Jesus knows the science well enough of a human eye to at an instant say, I'm changing that. Jesus knows the molecules well enough in water and wine to be able to not take time and time and time to make things change into alcohol. Jesus knows how to do it in an instant and shift things. Jesus is the ultimate scientist. Guys, Jesus, the stuff that our Nobel Prize winners are getting you know, recognized for, Jesus would snicker at. Jesus knows how to do stuff that would win him lots of awards. He could make a lot of money too, actually, with some of that stuff. Guys, Jesus is the smartest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. You know, this matters. Um, the, reason I'm, the reason I'm going on this is uh, this guy named Dallas Willard, and uh, one of the just things that he harps on is this issue. And I want you to think about this with our own lives, because I think... I think this matters. Look at, look at his quote. 
Dallas Willard says, it's not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. Jesus is Lord. In other words, he's who I'm going to follow, who's who I'm going to put my whole life under. I'm going to trust him. Jesus is Lord. Saying that can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate before saying Jesus is smart. He is not just nice. He is brilliant. He's the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. That takes some intelligence. And it's not just the little superhero tricks. You will not find anyone smarter when it comes to things like understanding yourself, your nature, understanding relationships, understanding sex or marriage, understanding how to forgive someone. You pick up Matthew chapter 5 and read through chapter 7 and you will find no greater things that have ever been said in the last 2,000 years on any of those topics. And if you live by him, it'll change your life. Why? Because he's not just a nice guy. He's incredibly intelligent. This is the God of the universe. There's a couple things that Jesus is different from our little superhero scorecard, though. You know, and let me just pause before I get there and say, the reason I'm on this, I just had this image of Jesus as being meek and mild and kind and sweet as a kid. And all the people that I really admired had all this strength and power and everything else. But if you actually stop and look at the scorecard, we're talking about the most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth. And this is why I love him. He's got a couple things different than our right side of the scorecard. You know, I had to come to grips with this as a kid. Darn. I wanted Spider-Man to be real so bad. But the truth is we know everything on this side of the column is fiction. Man, What if it's true that this Jesus actually is real? That this kind of power is in a real person who is still alive today, who not only has all that power, but he just happens to know you and love you. He's not hiding behind a costume. He's not running into a phone booth. He's not concealing his identity. This is a Jesus that is real and knows you and has all kinds of power. And he has, ironically, the same goal as these guys. If you boil down any superhero movies that you like, those superheroes are actually after doing one thing. They want, they actually want to save people. Pretty cool. There's always some super awesome villain guy who's going to control the world 
and kill everybody and take over and have all the money. And the goal of our superheroes, right, our, our Avengers, is to save people. Let me ask you this. How do they do it? At the end of the day, what happens in every single superhero movie? They will save people by violence. That's why we love the movies, man. They're blowing up trucks and buildings and destroying cities and we'll pay all kinds of money to go see that, special effects. Jesus has the exact same goal, to save people. And here's the crazy thing. He goes about it a little different. Jesus saves people via violence. but it is violence that he allows against himself. Are you kidding me? The most powerful, nonfiction, loving, and intelligent human being that has ever lived wants to know us, wants to lead us, and ultimately did it by allowing violence against himself. That's the God that's strung up on a cross. Man, you look at that list. (laughs) He did not need to let that happen. You think of some of the alternatives he had at his fingertips. And yet he allowed himself that kind of death. That's why I love him. That's why I want to follow him. Guys, I, I don't know, you've come to this season, what's stirring in you. Is there a piece of you, just be honest, is there a piece of you that has lived this life, the religious life, the go through the motions life, the live the traditions life, the this is what my parents say I have to do life? Instead of the passion, the drive, the love to know Jesus personally. Man, at some point, those guys, those wise men, they had to decide to get on those camels or start walking. You don't end up in Jerusalem by accident when you live in Iraq. They had to make up their mind and say, this is worth it. Have you ever actually made that decision to say, this isn't my parents anymore? This isn't my tradition anymore? This is my passionate love for Jesus Christ. Have you decided that, to follow that? There is no better time than the Christmas season to say, I'm in with this God. What does that look like for you? It may just start with a simple prayer of you going, Lord, I'm in. I want that kind of relationship. I want to take a second, and I just want to pray for that. I want to pray for us as we walk into the season together that God would beat out of us any sense that is obligation and would put so into us by his spirit that incredible passion and love for this guy.
God, we want that. Easier said than done. But I pray for myself, I pray for my friends here, that you would guide us into what it means to have this kind of relationship and passion for you. Lord, break through the barriers. Break through the barriers that we might have in our minds of who you are. Show us who you are, that incredible passion and energy and love and power. We want to follow you, God. So Lord, we give you ourselves today and we just want to say we trust you. And if today is a first step in that direction, we pray that we would have the courage to pray that. And we pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen.